0: I thought about changing the name of the sermon today, because really, it comes down to three words, be a servant, be a servant, and in the world we live in today, the culture that we live in today, that is far from a lot of people's minds. We live in a world where people promote self rather than others. Where people look out for, number one, the self-aggrandizement, the the self-glorification, the the self-seeking. You know, a man said back in, uh, I think it was the 1980s, about the 1990s, it might have been the 70s, about the 80s, that the theme song would be, I love me, I think I'm grand, sometimes I like to sit and hold my hand. And that's still the kind of world we live in, isn't it? I mean, people looking out for number one and and wanting to climb this, what what we've come to know even at a very young age as this ladder of success, this ladder of greatness. We want to climb to the top. And so we have this fictitious goal, this mirage of fulfillment. We want to be the type of people that excel. We want to be at the top of the class. We want to be the best at something. And so we push and push and push our way and claw our way trying to get to the top. Or, or even with our children sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll push our four-year-old to, to memorize the alphabet before anybody else's four-year-old does. And all this kind of stuff, we want our kids to be in the best colleges and the most prestigious universities. And they can land that better job and get that better pay. Just inherently, there's this desire, this driving force to get to the top. And the older we get, if we're not careful, it can indeed become a driving force. And the pursuit may vary. Some may hope to climb the ladder of success financially. For others, it might be academically. Others, it may be vocationally. And while the specifics may differ, the intent is still the same. And some people will do anything just to scratch and claw their way to the top because from the top of the ladder, everybody's got to look up at you and realize, man, they're the best. They're at the top. They're great. They're something. I think another reason some people being at the top is (laughs) they just enjoy looking down at other people because that's what you do from the top. I mean, for those that... But that's the the top thing, you know, the most important thing. That's as good as it gets if everything you have is all wrapped up in climbing the ladder. Now, early on, let me say this. I don't want you to misunderstand the intent of this message. There is nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with that. God's Word commends and holds up people that were successful. People like King David, or Job, or Joseph, or or Nehemiah, or Abraham, even Solomon for a while, as long as their priorities stayed right. Because ambition, in its proper balance, is pleasing to God, and it's fulfilling to man. But here's the problem with climbing the ladder. To some people, to too many people, it becomes the end all, the only thing that matters and if we're not careful, we'll begin to revel in, in terms like director or manager or principal or president or CEO or senior partner or whatever. I mean, it seems so natural to pursue it because after all, this is the American dream. Yeah, you know, we we love the story of the individual that's upwardly mobile. We we love those rags to riches stories, the story of the person that was living in abject poverty who becomes rich, the person who goes into a place, applies for a job, is turned down, only later on, years later, to go and purchase the very company where he couldn't get a job at. We we love the story of when the ugly duckling becomes the beautiful swan. Just as long as we keep moving upward. As long as the salary's increasing, the home is appreciating, the stocks are growing, the sales are soaring, it's all good because we're climbing the ladder of greatness. So let's begin by realizing the goal of the world is to ascend that ladder, to climb that ladder, to work our way up, and that becomes the measurement of success. But when we come to Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, we see it's not that way with Jesus. In fact, Jesus' way is upside down, totally reversed. And we're going to see here that this desire to get to the top is not anything new. There are people that have had the desire to climb this ladder for over 2,000 years, Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him, saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> Would you have the boldness to ask Jesus something like that? Well, Jesus, whatever I ask, I want you to do for me. Well, what do you want me to do for you? He said to them. They said to him, Grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right. And one on your left. Now you talk about getting the cart before the horse. I mean, uh, evidently they felt like they deserved these seats of honor. This is James and John, two-thirds of the inner three. James, John, Peter, okay. I mean, they're the three that's going to be with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The, The three that he takes with him a little bit further in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the inner circle, two of the three, John always referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved, was the one laying, reclining next to Jesus at the Last Supper that would lean back on Jesus' breast after Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And John asked him, who is it, Lord? So maybe they think they deserve these seats of honor. Man, am I glad that none of us would ever worry about the corner office. None of us would ever worry about the seat of honor or being the first in line, right? (laughs) But Jesus looks back at them and says, you don't know what you're asking. Matthew's account gives us a little bit more information than Mark's does. He, He shares that their mom came along with these two boys. And that the mom is doing a lot of the talking. Now, here's this... This strong-willed mother maybe, but these two boys, these two disciples of Jesus, do you remember what their nicknames are? The Sons of Thunder. I I just envision them being at some kind of big important meeting and they're introduced. I want to introduce to you James and John. And then the sound man puts the echo effect in the sound system. The Sons of Thunder, 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 Thunder. They envision a couple guys in a motorcycle gang with their black leather jackets and all that stuff, okay? Sons of thunder. And yet they kind of sheepishly approach Jesus with their mom, who's doing a lot of the talking. And basically, all three of them are saying the same thing. They're saying, Lord, after you've ascended all the way to the top, and you institute your kingdom, would you put us in the number one and two positions in your cabinet?" places on the next rung beneath you now what they didn't understand was that the ladder that christ would ascend was actually a cross and in verse 38 jesus said to them you don't know what you're asking for are you able to drink the cup that i drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which i am baptized a lot of times in the bible when you read the word cup it means a cup a cup that you can be filled with, okay, to drink to the full from. But it can have good things in it, or that cup can have bad things in it. The Bible talks about the cup of God's wrath. You don't want to drink that. The Bible talks about the cup of God's blessings. Give me more of that, okay? But in this instance, the word cup refers to death. It refers to death. You remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about his death. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So that's a reference to death. Father, if I don't have to die, if there's some other way to save people from their sins. But then Jesus further underscores it here when he says, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Folks, baptism always symbolizes death. Always. When a person is immersed into Christ, when they're baptized into the Lord, a death takes place. You're putting to death that person to sin. It's at that moment when you're crucifying your own sinful desires and committing your life to the Lord. And baptism will reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Are you willing to die, boys? Look at verse 39. They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And I think that's a veiled reference to the fact that both James and John would die because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Not counting Judas, who didn't remain faithful and took his own life. James was the first of the apostles to die. Acts chapter 12, Herod had him beheaded. When he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, planning to execute him as well. But Peter was released from prison by the angel. You recall the story. So James was the first. John was the last. John was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's what it says in Revelation, the first chapter. Both drank that cup. Both were baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. Now at this point, I don't think there's just four people involved in the conversation. James, John, their mom, and Jesus. I think there are ten other eavesdropping friends nearby listening in. And Mark's gospel goes on to tell how the other ten disciples felt when they learned these two had asked for the seats of honor. Verse 41 says, And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Now Jesus had said in verse 40, Okay, to sit on my right or on my left is not mine to give, it's for those to whom it's been prepared. But when the apostles hear, the rest of them hear what they had asked, Well, they're they're not real happy with that. It says there, they began to feel indignant. I would would think so. I mean, you expect that kind of of controlling and battling for power in the world, but you wouldn't expect that in the church, would you? You wouldn't expect that in the religious community. You certainly wouldn't expect that among the disciples of Jesus here. And yet it creeps in anywhere and everywhere. And the emotions of the other ten probably range anywhere from, I can't believe they ask him that. All the way to, oh, I wish I thought of that first. Okay? I mean, after all, over 2,000 years ago, people were consumed with trying to ascend this ladder of greatness. Well, Jesus then uses this as an opportunity to do some teaching that they need. And he launches into this extemporaneous speech. Look at verse 42. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not so among you. And so here's the other observation of this message, that the goal of the Christian is to descend the ladder. Descend the ladder. Why is that? Because anytime you take the focus off of self and you place it on others, you're humbling yourself. You're showing forth the grace of humility. Jesus says the world's view is to climb the ladder so that you're more visible to others. Christ says in Matthew 23, verse 11, The greatest among you must be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, that's just Christ's upside-down way. Jesus said the last will be first, the first will be last. He says if you humble yourself, you'll be rewarded. It might take place in this life, it might take place in the next life. But how do we descend the ladder? Well, it begins with a humble spirit. It begins with humility. Instead of having this spirit of entitlement that pervades our culture and our world today, that Everyone owes us something, you know, I'm entitled to this and I don't have to work for it. And now the one that descends, the latter realizes, hey, it's not about me. I don't need to always get my way. Life doesn't revolve around my preferences and desires. And so you begin the descent by crucifying your ego, by becoming a team player, by humbling yourself. Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others as better or more important than yourself and at times that certainly means serving others a man by the name of Richard Foster said more than any other single way the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. The more we serve, the more we grow in that grace of humility. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 42, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he'll certainly not lose his reward. So when you serve, you take the spotlight off of yourself. But when you serve, check your motives. Because the measure of a person's greatness is not the number of servants they have, it's the number of people that they serve. And there is someone that who sees what's done in secret. And our Heavenly Father will reward you someday. The psalmist said, serve the Lord with gladness. So think of the different areas in your life where you can serve the Lord. All of you can do that. All of us can serve. He's gifted us with abilities in order to serve Him and bring Him glory. And Jesus says, if you really want to live in this life, If you really want to win in this life, if you want to make yourself known, then don't worry about making yourself known to man, you make yourself known to God. Be a servant. Be a servant. And he doesn't say be a loser, be a doormat, he doesn't say don't have ambition, instead he says that the pathway to victory is a different way than you might think. It's through service. So how can we become servants? How can we become servant leaders? How is it that God can use us? Look what he says in verse 43. It's not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What does a servant look like? Looks like Jesus. The greatest servant the world has ever seen. Now let me say that there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. Here's the difference. When I choose to serve, I retain control about who I serve and when I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, that's a 24-7 proposition. That becomes a lifestyle. And I give up all rights. I give up all control. It's a a lifestyle. And make certain when you serve, wherever it may be, whether it's in the church or in your neighborhood or on your job or at school, wherever it is, you make certain that your service is not a chore, but that it's something joyful to you. Being a servant should bring joy. And don't lord it over people either. Years ago, Christian Herder was the governor of the state of Massachusetts, and he was running for re-election. And he comes to this community picnic where he used to speak briefly, then hit the road for another place or another stop on his campaign. And he hadn't eaten breakfast that morning. He hadn't had time. He hadn't had lunch. And so at this community picnic, he's going through this serving line, and he gets up to the lady who puts on his plate one little measly piece of chicken. <laughs> and he says, I am starving, ma'am. Could I have a second piece? And she said, one per person, move along. <laughs> well, he was kind of taken aback. He said, I haven't eaten all day, been on the road and everything. Could I please just have a second piece? She said, one per person, move along. So he thought, he was a humble man, Christian Herder was, but he thought if there's ever a time to, to pull rank on a person, he was going to do it this time. He said, ma'am, do you realize who I am? i'm the governor of the state of massachusetts she looked up at him said do you realize who i am i'm the person in charge of the chicken move along (laughs) you got to have the right attitude when you serve okay don't try to lord it over people service looks like jesus he demonstrated this upside down way by washing the feet of his disciples showing kindness to an outcast prostitute by healing a leper. And, oh yeah, he didn't just heal the leper, he actually touched the leper. In this world, Jesus lived in an upside-down way. But what does it look like in our world today? I mean, we usually think that it has to be some big dramatic example, but the reality is that servanthood doesn't often make the headlines. It's not done in the spotlight. That's part of what it means to be the least and the last. It's the husband who hears, hears the baby crying in the next room, and instead of pretending to stay asleep, he gets up and goes and takes care of it and lets the mom sleep, and then he doesn't make a big deal of it in the morning. It might be that student at school who has all kinds of friends and that they sit with at lunchtime, but they walk in and they see somebody that sits by themselves every single day with no friends, and they decide, today I'm going to go sit with that person and share my dessert with them it has all different kinds of looks. It's the coworker that's quick to share the credit when a compliment comes, and they say, I couldn't have done it without the team. It's the employee who does what is asked without complaining. It's the boss who shares his bonus with the rest of his staff. It's the brother or the sister who says, you can sit in the front seat or you can have the biggest piece of cake or whatever. But I simply want to remind you, James and John here, It's not about you. It's about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. John the Baptist, I think, said it the best. He must increase, I must decrease. That's humility. That's being a servant. And that's what happens when we serve. So ask yourself this question. If I believed in this kind of an upside-down kingdom, how would my life change? How would my behavior change? How would my choices change? If you were to descend the ladder of greatness, what would be different? Would your friends and family, would they faint? Would they be shocked? Would they be thrilled that you were going against the grain of all society? Be a servant. Be a servant. You ever stop to think what it might be like when the Lord returns and we get to enter into the new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells? I don't know how all that's going to shake out. But just imagine if there were this huge walled-in assembly area where all of the redeemed go in, and Jesus is in the room at one end of this, this structure. And so while all the redeemed are gathered in, all of a sudden there, there's kind of a parting in the middle, and you see all these famous people going up towards Jesus, okay, known throughout the world, The Christian stars of Hollywood, the Christian athletes, the the Christian singers and artists, you know, that have just thrilled the world with their music and they're walking up towards Jesus and people are kind of clapping. And then after that, all of a sudden, you see some other people come forward and you realize these are the wealthy people that have donated thousands even millions of dollars to charity and to and to Christian endeavors and things that have just helped the gospel to go around the world they've done so much good for Jesus with the wealth that they had and and people kind of clap and then there's another group of people walking up towards Jesus and you realize these are the the famous preachers of the world you know like Billy Graham and and, and all these others that that through the years and And they're making their way up, you know, because after all, they've changed the lives of millions of people with their preaching. And then all of a sudden, Jesus speaks two words. Turn around. And he says, you up front there, pull back those gates and let's all go in. And those who thought they were in the front are actually in the back. And those that were in the back are actually in the front. And the servants of the world lead the way into glory. Who knows how it's going to all shake out. Philippians chapter 2 gives us the greatest example of humility And servanthood that the world has ever seen familiar words about Jesus who although he existed in the form of God didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross Jesus came all the way down. Therefore also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came all the way down from glory to this earth. And now He's been exalted all the way up. He that would be the greatest among you must be the servant of all. Be a servant. And if this church were to be filled with Christian servants, not caring about who gets the credit, not caring if they work behind the the scenes, great, great things God could do in this community and even beyond. Let's be like Jesus. Be a servant we're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision living for Jesus the first and last verse